Episode on Adjudication, Chapter 19. Paul Darling and David Sortel. Welcome to our latest episode in the podcast arising out of Wilmot Smith on Construction, 4th edition. I'm Paul Darling. Today I am having a conversation with David Sortel, who edited Chapter 19 on Adjudication. Hello, David. Hello. Hi, Paul. What we're going to do is uh, give those who are listening a bit of a flavour of the new chapter uh, and ask you to explain in big picture terms first what you've done to the chapter since the third edition. The chapter on adjudication uh, runs to over 100 pages in the new edition of Wilmot Smith. And already, uh, when we started work on it, myself and Nicholas Higgs, it was really in a, in a very good shape. But what we saw was in the last few years is that the uh, entire field of adjudication has matured and ripened quite considerably. The third edition was 2014, wasn't it? So you've got seven years of evolution there. Absolutely. And large parts of it, uh, we could leave effectively untouched. The way you run an adjudication in 2021 is quite similar uh, to how you might run an adjudication uh, some years ago. So a number of parts on how to get your notice together, how to get your evidence together, uh, remains the same. But there are a number of headline areas where there's been quite considerable developments uh, in the case law. So we've had another Supreme Court decision, uh, Bresco Electrical Services against Michael Lonsdale, but in other discrete issues, such as when it comes to payment notice disputes against valuation disputes in the Grow Developments and S&T case, uh, when it comes to question overall of how fraud affects adjudication, enforcement and stays, there's been quite a few developments and entire new sections of the chapter had to be written. Would you pick those three, the, the insolvency, the Bresco line, uh, the Grove line and the fraud line as the three big developments? Absolutely, absolutely. Those are uh, the big issues. Uh, we've seen some development on the question of jurisdictional challenges. So after Primus Build and Canon Corporate Limited, it's now no longer permissible to store up all your jurisdictional challenges uh, for the enforcement stage. Uh, but in other areas, such as natural justice, it's still incredibly difficult to bring a natural justice challenge to an adjudicator's uh, decision. The only other point I'd also uh, bring to the table is the question of Part 8 challenges. It's been quite clear uh, the noise is becoming out of the TCC is those are only really suitable uh, for very clear-cut, uh, very limited cases where it's uh, more straightforward for a judge to arrive at a decision on the papers before them. Before we cut into the three individual areas, I wanted to say a few words about But what you say there about the TCC in Part 8 is very interesting. I think it's right, isn't it, that there is now a well-settled affinity to and support for the adjudication process from the courts, and that over the last seven years since the third edition, you've seen that solidify and evolve even further than already had. Would you say that was fair? Absolutely, absolutely. The courts have been very strongly um, encouraging of the adjudication process. I was just going through this, and um, I was looking at what Mr Justice Fraser said in Puma Group uh, UK Limited against Vincey Construction in 2016, 
And he said, a framework within which adjudicators have to reach decisions has to be taken into account when complaints are made by losing parties. I think we now have a, a generation of judges who are familiar with adjudication and want to give effect to the purpose of adjudication. For me, that is a, um, a thread that's run through effectively since the first enforcement decision. Now, the three areas that, where there's been particular change, one saw um, Bresco in the Supreme Court. How big an impact do you think that has had and will have on the practice of adjudication? already started to see a number of subsequent cases referring to Bresco. The biggest impact has been on insolvency and adjudication because we now have a green light uh, for uh, insolvent companies with or without uh, backing from insolvency practitioner or from third-party funding to bring adjudications and to bring claims. So I think that's been a really big issue, a big question mark has been answered but there's one part where Bresco didn't answer, and that's to decide what can be referred to adjudication. So we had the Fiona Trust case in the House of Lords, the idea that all disputes could be resolved in one forum, and we have two competing lines of case law about whether or not that can be applied to adjudication as well. So where we can bring claim, for example, for misrepresentation or rectification in adjudication, and Lord Briggs uh, toyed with the idea, but never went on to confirm Mr Justice Aikenhead's uh, decision in Murphy and Mayer. So, in some ways, the decision of the Supreme Court um, is very useful, particularly in the realm of insolvency, but in, other, in, other, uh, in terms of day-to-day -day, uh, practice of adjudication, I don't think it's had an enormous impact on it compared to, say, Grove. If you're... Um, I mean company uh, a respondent or responding party faced with a um adjudication brought by an insolvent party haven't you got serious costs problems indeed uh, there's something we explored in a series or in a podcast series uh, last year in that uh, one of the things we've seen in adjudication is they become a bit more like mini arbitrations in terms of the volume of the evidence and the expense involved in producing expert reports and in uh, legal fees. So you are facing a claim from a party uh, where if you, if you win uh, and you have a decision uh, it goes in your favour in terms of an order of payment, you'll find it, well, you'll be almost impossible to claim in the insolvency itself. Uh, if you lose uh, and you end up having being ordered to pay money to the insolvent company, uh, you'll still be ordered to pay that money, albeit into... Uh, on terms the court may decide. Uh, costs in adjudication is a bigger issue, which goes outside the insolvency arena, and that's the overall question of whether you should or should not be able to recover costs from uh, the other party. And uh, things like tolling clauses, we haven't seen any developments since the previous edition of Wilmot Smith. Sounds like what my late father would have called you on a hiding to nothing, but there if you're facing an insolvent company. Um, interesting area, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Can we then get on, and I'll try and keep my blood pressure down, onto Grove, hereafter referred to by me as the travesty. Um, I'm not sure where you are on the correctness of Grove, but uh, Grove obviously has had a big impact. But uh, have you seen it working through since the decision of the Court of Appeal, which unhappily the Supreme Court never got the chance to correct? I think the thing about Grove uh, was 
In, in some ways, we all assumed, and there was that assumption at the time it was decided both in the TCC and in the Court of Appeal, that we'd see the uh, flood barriers being opened, a surge of cases uh, being opened up to try and turn around payment notice disputes. We haven't seen that so much. I don't think parties are especially keen to litigate uh, interim certificates again and again when they could be dealt with in the, in the next payment cycle or can be corrected at the final account stage. Uh, Grove, uh, Paul, obviously uh, parties may have strong feelings about the decision uh, in Grove. but it's clearly, It was wrong. <laughs> it clearly was based on policy decisions. and the um, Not concepts. And the remarks of uh, Sir Rupert Jackson about the interplay between Section 108 and Section 111 of the Housing Grants Construction and Regeneration Act 1996 are extremely interesting. And I think certainly uh, the, the uh, after-chambers of Grove are going to continue reverberating throughout the entire payment mechanism and adjudication mechanism under the 1996 Act. Everyone should be very clear, I have absolutely no doubt that the decisions in Grove were wrong in principle. And anyone that wants me to take it to the Supreme Court for free, all you have to do is ask. Uh, that's a travesty that needs correcting. I've said that time after time. Uh, I know that uh, those who've decided it don't agree with me, but nevertheless, I, I, I think it's fundamental the suggestion that there is something called a true value. No, the true value is what the contract says it is. So for me, let's hope by the time we get to the fifth edition of this book, that justice may yet have been done. Um, and the third of your three changes? We're looking at fraud. And fraud yeah. is something that had come out of a handful of TCC decisions. But what we have now is more definitive guidance in two uh, series of litigation, uh, Gosner and Eigen, uh, which decided first instance for Mr. Justice Fraser and then went to the Court of Appeal, and then PBS, Energo, and uh, Best of Generation. Uh, both of those rose out of uh, adjudications, and um, in both of those, there were question marks about the evidence that was being deployed uh, by the referring party. Uh, we now have much clearer guidance about the effect of evidence where it's been alleged that it's been uh, fraudulently obtained or in some ways is uh, shot through with fraud on both the enforcement stage, but also if summary judgment is granted, uh, then a uh, question of whether or not to grant a stay. And I think those are two uh, very important developments. And indeed, that's probably one of the largest new sections of the chapter on adjudication, apart from a section on, on Grove. And have you got a tip for the top in the sense that we've got the fifth edition coming, which uh, uh, Richard Wilmot Smith kindly said may have an addition to the names of the authors, which, about which I'm delighted. Uh, but do you have a topic that you think might... Uh, evolve? Can I throw one at you? You may think it will, you may think it won't. Um, shenanigans in the appointments process of adjudicators. The sort of mugging by last-minute appointments uh, and manipulation of the appointment system so as to enable you to get your chosen adjudicator from a party, from a institutional appointing body. Is that one going to get judicial attention at any stage, or do you think the courts are very much going to remain hands-off? I think it is going to be something the parties are going to keep raising, 
and uh, at some point uh, one of the decided cases will then get through to the Court of Appeal because uh, we're seeing uh, adjudication after adjudication being brought. It's been one of the trends uh, that's been noticeable uh, is that uh, parties are quite keen on what's been styled serial adjudication, particularly out of uh, larger projects and uh, more valuable construction contracts. And the idea that you could have uh, one, an adjudicator dealing with a series of disputes, uh, dealing uh, with one party again and again and again, is something that creates tension in the policy of uh, adjudication. On one hand, uh, you have a Fiddick-style idea of uh, the possibility of a standing DAB, uh, DAB with uh, uh, an adjudicator or a standing board that does deal with the disputes arising out of a project. But on the other hand, uh, you have the... Um, concern that one party might be seen to prefer a particular adjudicator and, and therefore uh, arrange for a situation where their preferred adjudicator uh, becomes a party or becomes the uh, decision-making uh, person uh, without giving the other party of course the opportunity to object or to say too much about it so there's an underlying tension uh, which is outside the scheme for construction contracts, it's outside Section 108. We will need uh, some judicial guidance on at some point. Well, that's going to be very interesting. Um, thank you, David, for sharing with us the uh, process you went through for this chapter. Uh, I hope everyone who buys the book and reads it will benefit from it. Uh, it is, uh, in my view, and I would say this, wouldn't I, a masterful summary, and you're to be congratulated. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Paul.